Television Network. Hello there, I'm Nick Brownlee, and this is the Cumbria Business Podcast. Yes, we're back. And if you're wondering where we've been for the last few weeks, well, various interesting developments have been afoot. Uh, Perhaps the most interesting is that your humble business podcast is now a proud member of the Cumbria Sound and Vision Network. You might have heard the catchy ident at the start of the show. What's the Cumbria Sound and Vision Network, I hear you say? Well, essentially, it's a platform for Cumbrian podcasters, video makers and all-round creative types to get their work seen and heard. Stay tuned to this feed to find out more. There'll be a special show popping up very shortly in which all will be revealed. Now, to celebrate the glorious return of the business podcast, it's only fitting that we welcome a guest who is by any measure one of the big beasts of the Cumbria business jungle. John Coughlin is Chief Executive of TSP Engineering in Workington and has been since 2014. During its long and often turbulent history, TSP was part of British Steel, Chorus and later Tata Steel before becoming a standalone business. Although when John took over, it was on its knees with annual losses in excess of £1.5 million. In a little over two years, however, TSP was in profit to the tune of £2 million. And only last year, despite the ravages of COVID-19, the company landed a £30 million contract to manufacture nuclear waste containers for Sellafield. John himself has been recognised for his contribution to TSP's success with a host of industry awards. He served on the Dumfries and Galloway Young Enterprise Board, the Local Government Infrastructure and Strategy Committee, the Revenue Commissioner's Shadow Economy Liaison Group and the board of Cumbria LEP. And so when I caught up with him the other day, there was really only one question to ask. What's the secret of your success, John? simple the other people that work with me <laughs> have no no one person can actually do um, or achieve anything on their own and I really believe that it's, a, it's about um, a team and about a network of people it's about those people around you who want to engage who want to make the difference as well um, and I think it's, it's it's only fair that they get you know a fair portion of the rec- recognition that uh, that's deserved and that's been the, the case throughout your career you've always had good people around you yeah I've always had, had good people around me good pe- people who who wanted to to be involved who wanted to make a difference and who wanted to grow their own careers and, and the best way to grow their careers is to get in and do something that they're going to be successful at. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go back to where it all began then. Um, the accent's a bit of a giveaway. You're not originally from Cumbria. Tell us where it all started for you. Um, I was born in Dublin. Um, uh, went to um, college originally in, in Dublin to uh, the DIT, which is now um, a university. Um, from there, I went out to, to the US on a scholarship, um, really looking at um, totally different area than, than I work at the moment, uh, looking at um, oil exploration and gas exploration and um, learning how to um, send sound waves down, sonic sound waves down into the, into the, in, into the boreholes to tell how much water was there, how much oil, how much gas, um, so that they could work out how many barrels per day you were going to get was out of this. Was that something you just fell into, or was it uh, you know you, you got up one morning and thought this is what I want to do? No, it's something I fell into when I finished um, my studies in, in Bolton Street. I um, 
saw this advertisement for the for the scholarship, and they were offering two uh, places. Um, so myself and another chap in in, in my my class, um, we both applied, and we thought, you know, if we if we work together again, this teamwork, we, we did, both of us will probably get the get the scholarship. Um, so it came down to the the final interviews, and I think there was four or five people. And he was interviewed just before me, um, and one of the questions that we know that we gave differently was he was asked, could he drive? Uh, I was at, he said no. Uh, I was asked, could I drive? I said I could, because I reckon I'd have enough time to learn how to drive <laughs> between the time I got offered a scholarship and having to go to the US because there's no public transport. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get the, the scholarship. Um, another lady from, uh, from, from, from Dublin got it, and um, the two of us headed off to the US to, to learn uh, about stratigraphy. Right. And, and at school, what was your sort of strong point? Were you, were you a good scholar? I wasn't a good scholar. <laughs> I was probably, I would say, I was probably one of the worst in my class. <laughs> um, but I, I always had a kind of a head on my shoulders for, you know, talking my way around things. And um, but um, I would say, you know, school was 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 a, a labour, not necessarily a labour of love, but it was. Um, I still find myself today um, when I'm, I maybe go across and, and, and come across formulas or, or things that I did in school and saying, oh, actually, now I know what they were talking about. <laughs> and it takes a long time. But uh, um, I was very, mainly into sports. Yeah. I went to uh, a religious school. My, my parents sent me to a, a school uh, run by um, the Religious Christian Brothers, and it was a very hard life um, in Ireland. You um, physical corporal punishment was was very much dealt out by these guys. Uh, but I learned very quickly that if I was very good at sports um, and I was representing the school, then I was like the elite, and I was actually never touched. Right. And what was your sport? Um, Gaelic football um, and uh, what we would call soccer, you would call football here, uh, along with hurling, um, which is a, a little bit, it's a light stick with a, with a ball. And they're, you, they're rough games, are not they? Uh, they're fairly physical <laughs> games, yes. Uh, who would you say was, um, maybe, maybe at school or maybe after school, your first sort of influence uh, who took you under their wing? Um, definitely when I went to, to my first job um, designing elevators and escalators, um, I had an MD, a chap called Austin Gormley, um, who I learned so much from. He was, how I describe him is he was an Irish guy who thought he was an American. <laughs> um, he had the crew cut, dressed and talked like an American. He had spent uh, a lot of time in the US selling secondhand cars. Um, and he came back and set up a business with a, an Austrian chap. Um, manufacturing uh, elevators and escalators um, and I went in there uh, as a design engineer and um, I was really lucky because I got the opportunity to to design the first scenic lifts the first glass lifts on the outside of a building um, traveling up and down that were um, installed or designed in any building in Ireland so uh, it was it was I was I've been kind of lucky in some of those things and what did he what did his approach to, to business teach you to always be prepared and never be afraid to take a chance but I'll tell you the very first um, time that I got a um, a promotion within that business. Um, Austin promoted me to contracts manager, and he was sending me out to the to the first meeting, site meeting that I was going to in, in a big site in Dublin. And he said, "Look, when you arrive, go into the meeting. Just tell the uh, when it comes your turn. Just tell them the materials will be on site on Tuesday, and the people will be on site the following Tuesday." 
So I went off all prepared with myself, uh, or at least I thought I was, sat down at the meeting, um, came my turn, the, the architect was there, the senior engineer, uh, the building manager, and uh, the guy said, okay, uh, lift manufacturers, what's the status on, on the project? And I said, well, materials will be here next Tuesday and the people will be on site the following Tuesday and it'll take about six weeks to, to install. And the guy said, open your briefcase, put your pen and paper back in and get out of this office and don't come back till you know what you're talking about. And that was in front of everybody <laughs> that was on the site. I went back to our office uh, and I went up to the MD's office. And when you went into his office, he had a big window behind him and the desk was facing the door. And I went in, his back was to the door and his feet were up on the, the windowsill sitting in his chair uh, and he just swung around in the chair and he said to me you will never go to a meeting again without being prepared and knowing exactly what you're talking about so I believe although he never told me he phoned he phoned the guy and told him what to do and that was the biggest lesson for me to, to be prepared in anything that I wanted to go um, but I also learned uh, things like you know um, how to read people um, how to to go out and how to work with people and, and that it's all about people business is all about people mm. and that, that's and, and obviously, you mentioned you went across the States, but you've, you've kind of been a bit of a globetrotter, haven't you? Asia, Mexico. How did you end up across there? Um, di different companies. Um, I've been involved in um, sort of turning business around quite a lot of my career. Um, I joined a company, uh, I was working for Celestica, which was um, the manufacturing operation of IBM, or arm of IBM, and IBM floated it off as a separate business. Um, so we were doing contract manufacturing for, for in electronics for all sorts of, sort, sorts of um, companies. Um, and I was dealing with um, Lucent Technologies and Motorola, basically. Um, but I was spending a lot of time traveling and I decided, you know, it's time to come back home and spend a little bit more time um, with your family. So I got a job as VPGM with a company called Upright International, um, who had gone in the US, who had gone into Chapter 11 and bankruptcy uh, prior to my taking over. But the European arm hadn't gone into, into uh, bankruptcy. So I came in to take over the, the European arm of the business. And within about seven days of me being there, uh, I was out one day meeting a, my first client. And uh, the finance director rang me and he said, you better get back quickly, we've just run out of cash. Uh, so I flew back um, to, to the office and um, about eight o'clock that evening I was in front of the bank with him and we were explaining, you know, how we were going to do it, what's the, what was the plan. So I sort of got an afternoon to put this together. We put the plan together and we explained to them, look, the bank had done one thing and at the same time we did something else and the two of them um, headed in different directions and caused a problem. However, if they would back me, um, within 16 weeks, I would be back in, in the black um, and the business would be back running. They, they, um, they backed me, um, they accepted my plan. I then notified the um, parent company uh, of Upright who are based in the US and their owners uh, were a venture capitalist who were bent, uh, based in Australia. So it was a little bit complicated getting around the world, but I told them this better problem and I said, look, we don't need any cash, don't need any, any money or any help from you. Um, 16 weeks later, we were back in the black. Um, a week later, I got a phone call from um, the chairman of the holding company who asked me to meet him in, in the US, but not to tell anybody that I, that I was going there. So I arrived in the US with him. Um, I went for four days and four weeks later I got back. Um, 
The second or third day that I was there, the guy that I reported to got fired. Um, I was given his job. I was told to implement my strategy um, and take over the, the global business. I was, I was made global president. Um, at, at what age were you then, John? Um, probably, uh, I think that's one of about 45, 40, 46 thereabouts. Um, and, uh, I then started, moved to, to Mexico. Well, I moved out to California first um, and, and settled the business down, then moved to, um, to Mexico uh, and set up some operations in Mexico. Uh, and then moved across to Malaysia um, to look after some of our business. And we had a business in Japan, spent a little bit of time there, uh, headquartering and, and sort of traveling from, from those places and setting those, those businesses up. And that's really what, what brought me to those areas. But prior to that, as I said, I'd been with Celestica. So I'd been spending a lot of time um, in the UK, a lot of time in the Czech Republic and Italy um, running, running their businesses. Because we'll come to this later, but <clears throat> you're not afraid of moving to where you're working? No, I think it's really, it's important. Um, it's important for the people in the business, particularly if, if the business is in any kind of um, trouble or has any kind of uh, risk associated with it and you're trying to build the confidence of your workforce. Well, speaking of which, TSP, um, the way I described it earlier made it sound like a bit of a basket case when you took over. I mean, was it a basket case? And, and why... And why in that case, did you take the global world president of the world or whatever you were? Why did you suddenly you know, decide, right, I'm going to Workington to rescue this company? Um, well, I, I enjoy a challenge. Um, you know, nobody likes to be bored. Um, so, 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 so a challenge is good. And I also felt that there was an opportunity to do something um, you know, uh, with the business and particularly where it was located. It wasn't involved that much really in the technology, the nuclear technology, but there was a huge opportunity with the size of the plant and the type of business that it was to be able to expand it out and, 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 and open up into that. How did you sort of find out about it? How, were you approached by them? Uh, I was approached by a headhunter, yes. Right. Yeah. And, and did you have any sort of experience of that particular sector? Uh, I didn't know. Um, the nearest I had to the location was, um, I used to live in Dumfries. <laughs> um, and I used to run a business in Dumfries. Right. Um, I used to run a business called Gates. Um, again, when I took it over, it, that business was divided into a number of um, different businesses, some making um, handmade footwear, the famous Hunter Wellies, um, which is not the business I went in. I went in to uh, take over um, the industrial products division. Um, so that might be a little bit close, but not, not all that much. Um, went in to take over that business and when they divided up their, their, their business originally, when it was taken over by Gates, they discovered that this was where all the money was being lost. Uh, but within about six months, we had it into profit. And within about a year, we had it making substantial profits. And it was, it, it was becoming a really good standalone business. Um, so I lived there for a while. And my, my daughter was actually born in Dunfries. Right. So I, I kind of knew the area. Um, used to come across a little bit to Penrith and definitely go to, to Carlisle for, for shopping and stuff. So yeah. it wasn't that foreign to me. So um, tell me about TSP when you arrived there. I mean, what were the problems? I mean, you've said before... Um, I've read that there was a lot of, sort of contractors there who were just sort of hanging around doing the bare minimum and then 
buggering off basically yeah and that was something that you identified straight away and thought right i'm gonna yeah it, it needed to be dealt with because yeah when i went there the, the previous management who again weren't from um weren't from Cumbria, but they were, they were, they were from York, and they were spending a lot of their time in York and and travelling up and down, um, almost maybe it would be wrong to say this, but it was a bit of a holiday maybe for some of them, um, to come up and down and stay in a nice hotel and um, whatever. But they they didn't understand that all of those costs and all those charges were gone to the business, and they were bringing in highly paid contractors because they were saying, well, you can't get these people in, in Cumbria, they, they they don't exist. Um, we've got to bring them in from outside. So, you know, you had people coming in on a Monday and going home on a Thursday, and they had absolutely no interest in, in the business at all. They were there to get a paycheck and go back and even spend it somewhere else. So the, the, um, the community wasn't even getting the benefit um, of the spending power uh, from those people in, in the business. So one of the things that we needed to do was to start training our own people and start training um, some of the younger people in to be able to take those jobs. And now we've got um, some really, really good talent, which you know we've, we've trained in the business, put them through engineering degrees, uh, put them through project management um, qualifications, MBAs, um, highly ins- high inspection um, standards. And they're all, they've all grown within the business. I mean, two of the, um, I would say, two, two of the really um, people of the future of our business are two two ladies, um, both have gone through the engineering degree process. Uh, one is now um, a substantial senior project uh, manager, and the other is the uh, lead project engineer in the company. She she leads over all of the other projects, and both of those uh, on their way through um, their qualifications also got national awards and national recognition. So that's the kind of, of training that we give people, and if, if people want to to um, advance themselves and, and, and develop themselves, we're more than happy to do that. And we do tie them into the business for three years after their qualification. I was going to ask that. I mean, how, how do you sort of guarantee that they're not just going to go off to the next big offer when, you, yeah. when you've when you spent all that time no, and money? In, in, in we signed a contract with them right. and um, we asked them to stay for three years after their qualification. Yeah. Um, and if they don't stay for the three years, then they have to pay the money back to us. Right. But the way we do it is over that three years, um, the amount of money that they owe us for the qualification that they get, plus whatever salaries they, they received when they were out uh, on full-time education, um, runs down over the three years. So at the end of the three years, they don't owe anything at all. And the way I, I look upon it and explain to people is if you went to university today, the government would be looking for £50,000 off you over the whole life of your, your, working, your working life, um, and you have to pay it back. Here we say, we want you to commit to three years. If you leave it in three years, you've got to pay the money. But if you stay for, for three years or more, you don't owe anything. And then you can, you know, you can, you're, all of your, your salary um, is your own. And you don't, even during the three years that you're staying, all of your salaries are around because you don't have to pay anything back. So we give you the opportunity to get your qualification move up within in the, the business, increase your salary, um, you know, in line with the qualification that you have and, and, and the position that you hold in the business. So we don't cap people's salaries during that three years um, either. You know. was, that, was that a model which you came up with or had you seen it work elsewhere? No, it was a, a model that, that uh, I, I came up with. Um, 
because I wanted to be fair to the individuals, but I also wanted to make sure that the business was going to get a, a benefit from the, the spend that we were going to get. Mm-hmm. So you, you, are going to make. you basically started from the bottom up and, and cleared away the dead wood and got in some new stuff. Um, did you have a sort of plan initially about how long that would take? Did you exceed that or is it kind yeah, of gone to plan? I, I thought it would take three to four years. Um, in some areas, it took less than three years um, because we had people who were in the business who were being ignored. Um, you know, they're from Cumbria, so what do they know? You know, and that was the kind of attitude of some of the people, which is totally wrong. I mean, there, there were some of the brightest and, and, and best people in the business. And once you gave them the opportunity, they were ready to grasp it and, and move on. Um, so you could see that in some areas, I said, it, it, it was quicker than in other areas. Um, for the uninitiated, maybe we better explain what TSP does. Yeah, well, um, we're a, a business that's involved in design and manufacture of um, infrastructure or heavy engineering. Um, the best way to explain is we do heavy engineering, anything that you can lift up to about 130 tons, um, and we do it to um, Swiss watch tolerances. So it's really big, heavy equipment that's made and assembled to very tight tolerances, uh, and it's used within the defense sectors, within the nuclear sectors, um, or um, energy sectors. We've, we've just built some um, units for uh, underwater um, wave uh, capture for, for um, electricity um, generation, which will be um, tested up off the... Um, the coast of Scotland in some of the, 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 the remoter areas uh, producing producing electricity. So very heavy stuff. As one, one of our um, bright engineers, uh, design engineers said, if you can pick it up, we don't do it. <laughs> That's a good way of explaining it. Is that sort of going to be the sign above the door? <laughs> um, so tell us then about the, I mean, the latest success we mentioned at the start, this, this huge contract you've got with Sellafield. I mean, how did that come about? Um, well, we had done other work in similar contracts with Sellafield, probably um, for smaller values. But the most recent one we had done um, prior to getting this order, we delivered um, two and a half million pounds um, under budget, and we delivered it early. So um, it's not too often you hear in the nuclear industry that people are delivering things under budget um, and that they're delivering on time or early. It's normally costing twice the amount uh, and twice the amount of time. And does Sellafield so, sort of have a history of going elsewhere t- for the materials? I mean, do they, do they tend to? work within the Cumbria area or do they? Um, I, I think like any other business, they, they probably look to where they can get the best offering and the best deal because as they do point out, they are spending um, taxpayers' money. So it's not a case of, um, you know, they can spend whatever they like. But I, 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 I do think they have um, uh, a willingness to, to, to place work within Cumbria provided the companies are going to produce the levels of quality that are required um, and produce them within within the budget and, and to the price that they can get anywhere else. So I think there, you've got to do that in any business. Um, and when we're tendering, we've got to do it, you know, uh, and make sure we've got the best price, the best time, the best quality. And that was one of the reasons um, we went for uh, a standard called uh, ISO 19443. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not, but it's a, it's a new standard that was uh, introduced a couple of years ago, um, which takes um, ISO 9000 um, above and beyond um, what you would normally expect and, and targets it for the nuclear sector. And we were the first company 
in the world to be certified to that standard, which was a big thing for Cumbria and a big thing for our for, for the um, supply chain within the, within the nuclear sector. And the reason I did that was again to show the capability that that TSB has uh, in being a world player. And Martin Chan, who's the CEO of, um, of of Sellafield, when we got the 30 million pound award, he publicly said that TSP uh, was recognised as a, a worldwide, as as a world capable uh, business. Uh, you've obviously you've done what you've done at TSP very successfully, and your involvement with other organisations suggests that you know you're very happy to give your advice to, and and to sort of show people. You know, maybe where they're going wrong in, in Cumbria, particularly. Um, what was the situation in Cumbria when you first arrived here? I mean, did you look at the the, the business environment and think mm, that could be improved? Uh, well, no. I just looked at the business that I was going into and and concentrated on that first. And then I got involved in in talking to and meeting other people and uh, getting the opportunity to work with them. I mean, when I came to to Cumbria first uh, with my wife, my wife is from uh, from London. Um, and we had lived in Birmingham before we actually came here. And she said, you know, moving from London to Birmingham, she thought it was bad until she actually moved to Cumbria. <laughs> but now she actually loves, loves the place. Um, she, she loves going out around the lakes and she loves um, sort of walking and, 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 and cycling. And now there's a, a new cycle path um, from uh, Maryport out towards uh, Sillet. Um, she's really looking forward to the, to the summer months to be able to, to cycle through that. But um, when I came, when we were coming here first, um, we were looking around for a house and we saw this house in, in Marlborough and um, I decided, I said, oh, if she was going off um, somewhere, she's got a pretty senior job in the, in the post office. So she was going off uh, back down to London. And um, I said, I'm going to buy a paper and I'm going to go to the pub, sit in the corner, um, read the paper, buy a pint and I'll get a feel for the place. So I bought the paper, got to the pub, bought my pint and I never got to open the paper. From the time I went in, the people were so friendly, um, so interesting, um, and we went the next day and bought the, bought the, the house uh, and, and moved in. I mean, I found the people in Cumbria are very like the people in the west of Ireland, um, and I had spent a little bit of time in my early career um, there, actually, again, that was probably my first turnaround business. Um, so it, it's really like, like, like being at home. It's, and do you, do you feel it? I mean, you've obviously come into TSP and given uh, with confidence that the Cumbrian workforce can do the job. Do you think Cumbria had confidence in itself? Um, I think a lot of people didn't have confidence in themselves. And it's like um, the halo effect. I don't know if people know what the halo effect is. It's if you, if you tell people what they are, they become what, what you tell them. So if you tell people, um, you know, for long enough and, and deep enough that they're, they're not capable or not as good as anywhere else, they start to believe that. But they have the capability, so and they want to use that capability, and they want to display and deliver that capability. And the people here are equal to, are better than anybody in in the world. I mean, as we've shown in TSP, we've we've become the first company in the world to receive um, certification for ISO uh, 19443, and that shows the capability on a global basis uh, of the people in in, in this region. Yeah. Um, let's talk about sort of. The history up to date, I guess, um, the last 12 months have been difficult for everybody. I mean, you've you've booked the trend in as much as well. You've obviously got the Sellafield deal, but you've been you're on a recruitment drive. Um, how have you managed to, to do that when everybody else is kind of struggling? Um, look, 
<laughs> you've got to say it's luck. Um, but no, I mean, there's a lot of hard work on, on, on part of the, the people in the business, um, in, in working with, with customers, in defence uh, contracts, where we've delivered previously, and we had delivered, um, again, very, very prestigious projects um, within budget and, and um, on time and naturally they just they just spun off into the next contracts um, we got a large uh, defense contract we got the large contract from um, Sellafield and we got another large contract from um, uh, EDF um, yeah. So they, they were three that came at the same time. And it was really interesting. The, the contract we got at EDF was to refurbish um, about 12 flasks that had been made back in the 50s and 60s for, um, for, for the nuclear um, sector. And they came back to, they were never used, 12 of them were never used. Um, and they were in storage, but they now needed, obviously one of them had a tree growing up through it. <laughs> <laughs> so they all had to come back to be, to be refurbished, to be used in uh, the closing of one of the nuclear plants down in the southeast, um, where they will be used in, 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 in the near future. Came back to us, or came on the, on the, on the, um, on, on, on the commercial um, stage to, to tender for. And we tendered for them. We were down to two companies. And when EDF came to visit us, we had a, a very large table, probably about seven or eight foot long. And on that table, when they walked in, we had all of the documentation and all of the records from when they were, these units were first built. So we were able to demonstrate that we could do this because there's your records from. But when that we goes back to what first. you were saying earlier about the lesson you learned about you know never going to a meeting unprepared. Yes, so that exactly. kind of sticks with that. Um, you've done superbly well. I just wonder, you know, when you would actually turn around and say, hey, look, my work here is done. I've, I need another challenge. Are you sort of anywhere near that stage? No, I hope my wife's not listening because, uh, no, def definitely not. Um, I mean, I, I, um, I, I love the challenges here. I love the work here. Um, I believe, and if my wife's not listening, that we will stay here for the rest of our life. No, um, we, we've, we've bought a house here. We, we, if we ever move again, we're talking about moving locally within within Cumbria um, would you see yourself as a sort of uh, troubleshooter perhaps or a, you know a, a, an eminence grease of the business world going around Cumbria and and, and passing on your wisdom well I'm, I'm more that's something I'm more than happy to do more than more than um, happy we, we one of the things that we did um, with our business we invited other smaller businesses in and we've had some of them to come and see us if they wanted to spend send some of their employees in to spend time in our department to learn from uh, what we were doing we were happy to um, give that experience to them and we're happy to to continually do that and um, I'm more than happy to, to help any business because look business is difficult enough but not only are you helping the business there's the people that are in the business who are depending on their employment from that business and I think that's what you've really got to look at there, there are some exciting things happening which are really difficult for me to talk about right at the moment but I suppose just to give you a oh, teaser to, to tease you um, I've talked about you know AMRs coming to Cumbria um, and I think that you might be a surprising uh, announcement in the very near future that that will definitely happen um, and that will have a big impact on, on, on employment um, I it was in the, the Times and Star about two years ago, I think, uh, when I first talked about this. But we are really, really close um, to, to, to getting there. And, and I think, it, I mean, that's something that um, 
will tie me again to, to the business and to the area um, because it's, it, it's going to be so much bigger. Um, and that whole West Coast important. area is, is kind of transformed from what, you know, what it historically used to be, the mines and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. now a sort of real thriving uh, industrial hub and, and you, you see yourself sort of at the heart of that going yeah, forward. I would, I, would, I would like to, to, to remain there. That, um, there's, there's so much to do, there's so much to be, to be achieved and so much to deliver and there's so much change happening. Um, I mean, one of the things that I, I went and did some studying on um, was disruptive strategies um, with, with Harvard. And, um, you know, I think that there's a real opportunities in Cumbria to, to introduce some of those um, disruptive what, what's strategies. What's a disruptive strategy? Um, it's taking a concept from one industry or one technology and being able to identify um, how it will come in and knock out some of the competitors, the lower level competitors, um, and develop and grow, grow your business. And AMRs to me and, and SMRs are disruptive strategy because they're taking away from the big, bulky nuclear plants um, that we've had in the past that A, always run over budget, take twice as long to, to build, uh, and nobody wants to invest in them anymore. So the new technologies like AMRs and SMRs, where you're going to build an AMR in, in your factory, you'll, you'll put up a very quick, small, uh, secure building and you'll take the unit and just plug it in right. when you get to the building. It, it, it'll, it'll totally revolutionise what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, you sound to me as if you, you're not the retiring type. I mean, are you just going what, what is retiring? <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it this way then. How do you relax or, or don't you? Do you, do you sort um, of, do you, do you watch a bit of sport? Or? I, I love watching rugby. Yeah. Um, I watch a very good rugby team. They, they, um, they bet England recently. But my wife is English. Uh, my daughter is Scottish. And my daughter rang me and she was watching the game and she said, oh, it's great, we're winning. And I said, what do you mean we're winning? You were born in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully one of these days you might be able to go across to Dublin again and watch uh, what uh, Yeah, I've got a grandchild who was born during the lockdown in November and we've only just seen photographs of her and um, pictures so we're looking forward to, to getting across to um, to see her she lives in, in the, the northwest of Ireland yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah we, will, we will get over and see that My thanks to John Cochland for getting this latest season of the Cumbria Business Podcast off to a flyer. And to you, dear listener, for being so patient. There'll be more of the same dropping into your designated podcast feed over the next few weeks. And if you've liked what you've heard so far, why not tell your friends? If you're on Twitter, you can find us at Cumbria BizPod. And very soon, you'll be able to find us on the Cumbria Sound and Vision Network which is very exciting. As I mentioned at the start, there'll be a special episode arriving soon, which will explain all, so keep your eyes peeled for that. For now, though, the Cumbria Business Podcast is a paperfoot production for the Cumbria Sound and Vision Network. I'm Nick Brownlee. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Paperfoot.